When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello and welcome to our very first episode of The Subject, a podcast offering an alternative source of inspiration from everyday women. Each episode will interview one woman who makes us tick, then go out and about to bring you street style interviews where it's your opinion that matters, not your fashion sense. We are your hosts, I'm Harry and I'm Claire. Our inaugural guest is Lizzie Mary Cullen, artist and author of quite a collection of adult colouring books. We'll be speaking to her about how she developed her signature style conquered her mean inner monologue, and had a life-changing encounter in the woods. After the interview, we'll be heading out to the streets of Liverpool. (laughs) That was awful. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking to more everyday lasses, asking women what feminism means to them. Lizzie, welcome. A lot of the adult colouring books out there typically portray so-called mindful landscapes, forests, flowers, and all things natural. But your book, The Magical City, features urban environments. Have you always been interested in them? I have. Um, I think I think a lot of the colouring books at the moment are so beautiful. Like some are absolutely gorgeous. It's um, it's a lovely spread out there, and, and like obviously my one is just about landscapes um, in urban environments. So I think my love is urban spaces and how to find a real sense of love in them when on the outset they could just be quite grey and cold and quite dangerous but really when you look beyond that you can see I think grace in anything so my book I I hope tries to tap into that I read somewhere that you can be really like at peace in a forest it's really easy to be at peace but to be at peace in a city is so much more difficult Mm -hmm. and requires so much more like Jedi (laughs) mindness than any other thing and um, I love looking at that and I guess it came about when I was at Goldsmiths I was doing my degree and it's more like design philosophy at Goldsmiths it's really intensive course and I was I was drowning and I didn't know what I was doing and I thought right uh, I'll start mapping people around London and I thought I'll start stalking people for a bit and there's this artist called Sophie Cow and Sophie Cow is an amazing creepy artist and she <laughs> basically stalks people as her art form wow. and it's really I mean it's really dubious work I mean I don't know if I could do this but she at one point I think she she found this guy's wallet in a bin. Yeah. I don't know if she's she probably looking through his bins basically and found this wallet and then she she followed him for a year. For and a she year? Made, she, I think she made like a life for him oh, out of wow. his yeah, It's really intense. She, she stitched it together with actual what she I found don't, I, in his I have wallet. To, I have to look back on the book I was looking at but mm. she's really 
she's really, really intense. And mm-hmm. I was looking a lot about her, and I was thinking, well, I'll, I'll stalk someone for the day. <laughs> and uh, that's how As I... As you do when you're a student. Yeah, and that's how I began to stalk. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but the, the maps I'd make for me stalking journeys were really quite beautiful, but they weren't what I'm doing now. They were just linear marks on a page mm. that looked like squiggles because I'd be following these people around this this area. Mm-hmm. However big the area was, it still looked like sort of squiggles on a page. And each squiggle would be a different colour representing the different person. So I'd have the whole spectrum of colours or the rainbow and I'd follow like 10 people that day and they'd all be different. So they'd all mm. be different. So it'd be quite beautiful. interesting. Yeah, they looked beautiful. But I mean, you know, they were they were lessons in madness because I was like, <laughs> I was just not doing anything. Like what? Just stalking people. This is an illegal act. <laughs> just because I'm putting nice colours on it doesn't make it okay. And then I was like, well, if I stalk myself, then that's much more legal. Well, actually, there's, no, there's nothing bad about it. So I started to look at my movements and that's when I began to crack my own style and it was, it was kind of awesome. And on, on your website, there's a term uh, that's psychogeography. Psychogeography, yeah. yeah. What beautiful, is that? It's a beautiful term uh, for anyone who wants to kind of look at your journeys, cities in different ways. It's like an inventive way, a playful way of exploring urban landscapes or any landscape really. And I've been doing a lot of work this year with a guy called Dr. Bradley Garrett, and he is an urban explorer, and he actually lectures in this. I mean, the police have been onto him for years, unjustly onto him. because Why? he Well, he likes to reclaim the city for the people. Mm-hmm. He's very against the corporate buying out of London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he did this thing for The Guardian where he and some friends would make a pact for this piece in The Guardian to walk along Thames Path. And the Thames Path, it's impossible to do it because there's all these corporate banks who've stolen it. Mm-hmm. And it's ours, but they've taken it. Mm-hmm. So what he did with his, his buddies was go into these massive banks and say, hello, I'd like to stand on your balcony, please. And they were like, no. And he's like, actually, it's my legal right to do this. You have wow. to let me through your building and stand on your balcony. And I'm like, okay, go for it. So he, he went out, stood on the balcony, and went, out, went back again. Because it's just the, the fact of reclaiming it. They've stolen that from us. It's but ours. he couldn't freely walk. No, alone. because it's all it's all blocked off mm-hmm. with massive cement yes. walls. Uh-huh. And yeah. he's doing a new book called London Heights, and it's a sequel to Subterranean London. Subterranean London was all about like underneath the workings of oh, London. Fascinating. And this one is the heights of London. So I've done three illustrations for this book: corporate heights, social heights about the demise of social housing in London, mm. and infrastructural heights, which is all the buildings and chimney stacks and mm-hmm. the Emirates crap fest that goes from <laughs> a massive failure. It's, was, it's, what? Oh god, you know the Emirates cable car. Yeah. That's just millions of pounds. It's used by one person a day. But it was for the Olympics, but when the Olympics is gone, it's just it's going to nowhere. No mm. offense to people who live in that area. I mean, I'm sure they no. get a kick out of it, but it's just it, it millions of, of pounds. It's like, it's like the new Millennium Dome that's mm. next to the Millennium Dome. It was just about it's basically the third one's about stuff that you don't really notice, buildings, bridges mm-hmm. that service the city. You don't notice until they go wrong. Okay. So yeah, so um he's opened my eyes. So we've done a lot, lot of urban exploring going up top buildings um so rooftoping and just uh seeing the world from a different way and that's really really lit me up I, I love that stuff it's great to feel powerful in a place where it's owned mostly by corporate crap lizzie you're obviously extremely creative and you've got this wonderful talent thank you when did you first realize that creating things and drawing was something that you wanted to do 
Mm, I don't know, I always felt that it wasn't really a job, because no one told me it was a job. Being an artist is one thing. So my aunt was an artist and she committed suicide very early on, uh, when I was about, I think I was about seven or eight, or maybe even younger than that actually. And um, so I almost subconsciously believed that if you were an artist you killed yourself and that was it. So I never vocalised that, I never really expressed it to anybody, I never expressed it to myself, I just assumed deep like deep inside there was this aversion to being an artist i was like i'm not an artist looking around when i was younger artists kill them you know kill themselves all the time and mm. you kind of connected mm. that and i think i was like i can't be an artist i made the conscious effort of not going to art school i was like i'm going to be a designer i'm going to be a safe designer i mean designing is a really noble job i personally found it it was like a refuge from like what i wanted and i i didn't want to kill myself so i was like i'm going to you know it's really st- i mean now I, mean, I, I look back and think i'm an idiot but at the time it was really real so and I just, why why is that? Is that because it's more client driven? I don't know much about the work of a designer, yeah, but definitely. you almost talk, you're given briefs and you deliver those. Well, this is how I see it: the artist gets the inspiration from inside, mm. and the designer's given a job, and you do it, and then you get paid, and then you mm. walk off into sunsets. So that was uh-huh. how I saw things. And so illustration seemed like the perfect thing because you get a client and they'd be like, "Oh, uh, we want this doing in your style," and you do it in your style, and then you get paid, and then. Well, mostly get paid. And then, um, but an artist, everything comes from inside. I think I see it in Aboriginal art. The Aboriginal art is like, it's a channel for something deeper, a, an ancient collective consciousness that they're putting into these these patterns. It's not just one person. It's a collective knowledge. That's why the art's so powerful, I think. And I, I think that that kind of, that scared me a lot when I was younger because I was like, that's, that's too, it's too open, it's too raw, it's too natural. It's like a power that I don't really know and yeah, it frightened me a little bit. Because a lot, a lot of artists or some artists talk about having a muse, don't they? And, yeah. and some artists, in order to hear their muse yeah. or let the muse travel through them, turn to drink or drugs to like, to subdue their consciousness so they can't, because there must be um, an urge to self-critique and to self-edit a lot of the Completely. time. Um, that's one of the things that I found really good, um, like meditation is really good for that, because mm. my inner monologue used to be really, really mean. I used to be like, oh, there's your shit, you can't do anything right, um, everything you do is rubbish, and that kind of came along all the time, and social media fueled that, because you're looking at people with millions of followers, you're like, wow, what, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, comparison is the killer of joy, mm. and when you keep comparing yourself, you do kill your creative drive because you think, well, why bother? Mm. So meditation's brilliant for me because you are able to say, oh, I'm, I'm fearful today or I'm feeling jealous today and say, identify this as an emotion. That's fine. I accept you. And then it kind of floats away and what you have left is kind of like a sort of a, a calm ocean. And often the waves will come back, always, because you're human and they always do. But th- I think the trick is for me is to keep accepting the waves will come and storms will come, but they'll pass. Mm-hmm. That's how I, I deal with that, the constant self-critiquing of my own work. I used to be really, really bad. I did change locks. I went to I went to work in this commune, and they're called the Beehive Design Collective in Maine, and this was about, I think, a year in ago. In Maine, America. Yeah, and so I'd gone from being very, very in my own head, very aggressive towards my own self, and then I started to open up a lot. I read it to The Artist's Way. It's a book by Julia Cameron, and she just talks about being an artist and everyone's not if you're human you're an artist because you can find beauty and joy in anything and you don't have to be ashamed of it you just have to carve out your time for yourself and uh, be true to what you want to do 
So I read that and then from that I started to look for ways to escape what I'd worked my brain into, this sort of feeling of not being good enough. And that's when I found these guys on Kickstarter actually, um, they do amazing campaigns and they're, they're a really great group of people, they, they're always changing, the group is always changing, but they do massive anti-capitalist um, artworks and they use it as teaching tools for different communities across America and South America. And they go on listening tours in their van to hear these stories and they spend years making them into huge artworks to give back to communities like copyright free they never have any names in the artworks the minute you go in to work on it you leave your name at the door it's egoless mm. it's just for the good of the people and I went to live with them for a month and it was just the most transformative experience and everyone did things they needed to do it was all collective it was like a beehive like everyone contributed that everyone was individuals and that was okay so there was no one queen bee no 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 not at all every week you had we had a meeting and if there was a problem if someone wasn't tidying up in the kitchen, or if someone yeah. was hogging the homemade sauna in the back, or if someone was having sex in it too much, like, people would join together and say, I feel this, and people would be like, thank you for sharing, and that, that would be that. There was no one in charge, it was just a very, very nice community, and it kind of opened me up a lot. I also had a kind of near-death experience there that kick-started my kind of feeling of Anita. Looking back, it was that moment that changed me quite intrinsically but at the time it was oh I'm alive that's good mm. so I was walking along this old railway track in Maine there's lots of disused railway tracks so they go on for miles and they're very very straight so you can see you can mm. see miles in front were you of alone? You. I was alone I, I was listening to Harry Potter audiobook and I got carried away and I was walking for about five hours and I'd left at oh, eight shit. in the morning and I, it was 2pm and I realised I'd gone a bit far and I decided to go back so I was half an hour into my way back down this railroad track and this baby bear just like popped up onto the track in front of me and I was like oh shit <sighs> and I just finished reading Bill Bryson's Into the Woods about the Appalachian Trail it's a whole chapter yeah. about what to do when you see a bear and he's and he researched it and he How started shit himself I know and he was saying that whatever you do you know he was reading different texts and some people were like don't climb a tree other people say do climb a tree and at the end, he had no what idea what to do. climb trees? Well, well you know, apparently you don't climb a tree because it, it can okay. climb after you. Yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then other people were like, run. Mm-hmm. And other people were like, don't run. Freeze. Freeze. And then there's something about dinosaurs. putting your hands in. <laughs> yeah. You can't see if you don't move. Yeah. I thought it was the freeze and very slowly move away. Is that not the technique? Okay. I thought it, it was put your hands above <laughs> your head, go on your tiptoes and roar so that they think you're... That's a hokey-cokey. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bear escape. <laughs> One. Anyway, so you read the so, book. So, so what did I Bill was, say? I was. He said, mm-hmm. "I have no idea because everyone's conscious to other. I, I just hope I'm not see a bear, <laughs> and if I do see a bear, I'll shit myself and die." Is that what it means? Basically, <laughs> thanks, said. Bill. So I was there, and I had all these things running through my head about what to do when I see a bear. And the baby cubs there. And one thing Bill did say was, "If you see a bear, it better not be a baby bear because Ooh. the mother's around Mama and she bear. will mm-hmm. mess you up." Yeah. My heart started. My carotid artery was like pounding so hard and i felt really light i felt like i was floating so you were getting adrenaline pure fight or flight pure adrenaline rushing through me it was like it it was kind of incredible but immediately i started to pray i started to do the hail mary did you yeah because i was like clicked into my head i was i'm you know i'm not catholic but i guess years of conditioning (laughs) it doesn't go away so i just started to do that in my head and i was praying to be alive The bear shuffled off, that was fine. I was like, right, well, I can... The bear had been blocking my path to go back to the commune and any minute the mother could just come out in front of me or behind me. Mm. So I had a a quite a long time, minutes probably, seconds maybe, just deciding, I have to go, I have to run, I have to run. But I couldn't, I couldn't run. Yeah. So eventually, after just feeling like my feet were glued to the floor, I just counted myself down from 10 and then ran. 
and I sprinted for many minutes. I looked back and I saw this kind of like thing on the track. I think it was the mother. I just carried on running and then... Was um, she following you? No, no, she was she was fine. Was like, she big? She was really big. She, it wasn't the baby anymore, mm. definitely. But it, I'm just really happy that I wasn't there when she came onto the track. Mm-hmm. And then I hailed down some quad bikers who came along about two hours after that. And I was shaking and they gave me their back to commune. And that was oh, great. Wow. And I got back into the kitchen and everyone was making some food. And I was like, oh, I saw, I saw a bear. And I was fine. Like, I was absolutely fine. Mm. And um, and from that minute, I've been absolutely fine. But I've realised that the changes in my life I've made have been since that. The drastic ones have been since that point. So, yeah, I, I'm a lot happier these days. Um, I'm much more grateful for my life every day than I, I ever was before. I love being alive and I like I like being kind to people trying to be kind to people all the time and especially being kind to yourself I'm sometimes I'm really mean to myself but mostly just you know giving yourself a break and giving other people a break as well because everyone is just trying to be happy would you say those are the main changes you've made since that happened I think so yeah what a fascinating experience it was interesting I'm glad it happened. I'm glad I'm alive. And I'm really happy that I was given the opportunity to change and just sort of... Yeah, I guess um, it's quite unusual to have that moment of staring death in the face. Yeah, I mean, but I think um, I've read a lot of uh, meditation books um, mm. since that point and being in the present stuff. And one thing that people say is often, sometimes you will have a near-death experience and that will kickstart you into a new path of awareness. But some people, it's just gradual. And yeah. it's like a natural human change that we all have during our lives. Mm. And, you know, our lives, they're short in the grand scheme of things, mm. but they're very precious and valuable to us. And every year, every minute you change. You know, you'd say we're dying every day, but that's, isn't that beautiful? Mm. Because Cheerful. Just, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but is it like, is it not cheerful? Because we're all alive. And the beauty about ageing, which our society mm. hates to talk about, mm. is we do age and like one thing I did when we get back to Maine was have my tattoo done on my arm and before then I'd be like oh when I'm old it'll be all saggy mm. but now I'm the opposite when I'm old it'll be saggy and beautiful and it would like wobble on my arm as I'm drawing and isn't that gorgeous that like, my skin is is alive but it's it's gonna die yeah mm. we and, only have a finite amount yeah. of time here so it makes it more precious it's so precious it's also I think having a tattoo represents who you are right now mm. and again you're sort of living for the moment and not considering the future as much. I suppose, I think that's what I had trouble with when I came back from Maine because I had a great deal of, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm in the I'm the present, it doesn't matter in the future. And that was quite destructive because it was so in the present for me that I was like, nothing matters. Not just relating to the tattoo here, just in life, life you were being yeah. very much day-to-day, yeah, living work. in the moment. Yeah, I wasn't caring about work as much yeah. as I used to, well, mm-hmm. at all, really. I was like, I was getting jobs in, but and I, I cared deeply about the jobs when I was doing them mm-hmm. and I was doing the best work I've ever done. But I was like, why bother? I've never had that feeling of devil Freed. may care, Ooh, yeah. but it, it was dangerous. And I remember my dad saying, um, and also a friend, I, he said, mm, you have to have some ambition. And I was like, no, I don't. And then um, I lost ambition. it. I lost it for a few months and I was kind of, I guess, combusting. I was, mm-hmm. I didn't care. And then I was so a really good friend of mine. I was like, oh, Caitlin, my dad thinks this. And she was like, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? And um, after she said that, I started to think, oh, God, maybe I am being a bit nihilistic. Mm. And I started to think, I do have things I want to do. And that's when I started to think I could have a solo show. Mm-hmm. And then when I started to get back to work and I got a new studio and I got back some of my, not ambition to be successful, but ambition to draw, just simply to draw. Yeah. That's when I got my book deal through. That's when I my work started to really flourish. Mm-hmm. I'd lost the desperation to get work. Mm-hmm. I lost desperation to be notorious for my work. I just wanted to draw. And that, that brought new, interesting clients into my life that I wouldn't have had 
powerful then. You briefly touched on the trip that you you made, how that changed your perception of what work meant to you. What does success look like for you and what does failure mean to you? It's the biggest change I think maybe in my life. So it's gone from being, oh my god, if I'm not published, turn 25, I'll be a failure. I need to be famous, I need people to know who I am. Like I need to be recognised and needing to have validation. Success used to be being notorious in my field, people knowing who I am. But now success for me is simply being happy. It's all I want. To be able to make enough money to draw all the time, as I have been. The idea of a struggling artist is real, like because you're always living hand to mouth. There's always clients that don't pay you. There's always people that you know want to rip you off. But... The simple pleasure of being able to work for yourself, even in the face of all those things, is success in my book. I think before I'd have felt I failed if I haven't. I'm not famous, I suppose, but now I realise that fame is just an illusion and happiness, day-to-day happiness, is, 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 my, is my success. What do you think motivates you now? I don't know. I think just drawing. Like, there's so much pleasure for me. A blank piece of paper. It sounds so cheesy, but it's so real. Like, having a full pen and just drawing lines on paper and knowing it's going to look shit hot when it's done. And you know it. I know it. Because it's, it's me. It's me on the page. And it's so exciting to think, oh, today I'm going to be drawing today. And I, and I love doing that for clients. I love getting a, a brief from somebody saying, oh, can you do this in your style? It's like, yeah, okay, sure I can. And it'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. Are you quite engaged across social media? And is that an important way to connect with fans? At school, I was about 13 when the internet came in. And that was fine. And then it changed the way we met people yeah. and phones. You, you wouldn't say, I'll meet you by the... the the village clock by 10am and just say I'll meet you in town and that's fine my grand would be like why aren't you planning anything I was going to have to grand but now I kind of wish we <laughs> got did these have things plan. called mobile yeah, phones mobile, yeah. they're so yeah. cool texting they're so awesome they, that's the thing like, I kind of miss that because yeah. I'm with yeah. my grand like I like to know what I'm doing and I if let's say the zombie apocalypse comes mm-hmm. tomorrow we're all fucked because you know if you don't have phones no one has chargers in the zombie apop- apop- apocalypse no. like, and suddenly you're running around Mm-hmm. You know, no one can read maps. I mean, I can't read maps. Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> blanket coverage. But I don't know. Like, I just think that... Um, we've lost those basic skills. We've lost things. Yeah. And I think also we've lost... In social media, companies, having seen from the other side, being able to go into the advertising agencies and talk mm. to them and things, everyone's obsessed with hits. Everyone's obsessed mm. with the amount of people following you. What does that even mean? One day, let's say one hour, I'll get a notification saying you have a new follower. Some people will be like, well, that's not very good. One follower. Mm. But it's like, this is a real person. Mm. This person following has hopes and dreams. They have a family, maybe. they And they've decided to follow me. Isn't that yeah. incredible? That's absolutely incredible. And we've lost sight of that individuality. So this idea of like, I have to have a million followers. Why? Why, when, why does that give you value? Yeah, it does dehumanise people. It actually, does. Yeah. And I think that I use Twitter and Facebook because I feel I have to as an illustrator and as an author, I suppose, now. But I don't... I love connecting with people. But I always say on Twitter and Facebook, come meet me for a coffee. Come meet me for a drink. If you want to talk to me about this, come meet me mm. and we'll talk. Sometimes, I mean, I saw this thing about these two really famous YouTubers and they met. Like, they were like, I think it was a Japanese conference. They met. And they were like, oh, I know you from Twitter. I know you from YouTube. Okay, bye. <laughs> and, but they've been talking for years. Wow. But the face-to-face was too much. Oh, wow. And they went off and that was fun. They were like, oh, it's so nice to see you. Mm-hmm. They have a selfie well, together. Yeah, that's, that's I, it. I read in a magazine this week um, saying, is social media making us agoraphobic? Yes, it is. Because people are much more comfortable with um, the idea of putting their thoughts forward in a Facebook status or a tweet because yeah. it can be edited. Yeah. And then when they're face 
face to face with some with someone, you can there's that like anxiety. So you just feel anything can pop out yeah. of your mouth. Yeah, which happens to me all the time. <laughs> I always make gaffes. Like I'm always the person saying stupid things. Yeah, so I, I do appreciate social media. It's really powerful, but some I think it's it's not everything. And these cases of cyberbullying and stuff with kids, it's really. Uh, who was I talking to the other day? They were playing the Maisie Williams cyberbully program that was aired over that? Christmas. Who is Maisie Williams? Is it Maisie Game Williams? Of Thrones? Yeah, she's um, Arya okay. in Game of Thrones. And basically, yeah. she did a really, really powerful drama about a girl who gets cyberbullied into almost killing herself. Mm. And they play it in schools yeah, mm. now because it's like, at the end, she realises that she just has to shut the computer <laughs> yeah. and then walk away because whatever wow. they do to her online, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of real, but it's not. Like, yeah. you can choose to walk away and you have the power again. Mm. Um, I was trolled a few months ago and it was really disturbing for me to be trolled and it was quite horrible and worrying. Mm-hmm. But I decided what I'd do is I'd say, I'd post the troll stuff and say, hey guys, this is happening. Treat this person with kindness because to do this, this is damaged way of acting. Yeah. And the minute I did that, it reclaimed my power and I was okay mm. again. Yeah. And so in, in Cyberbully thing, Maisie Williams shuts the laptop and she walks away and that's the end of the thing. And it shows kids, it's really important for them to see that because it shows kids that actually the power is in your hands. This person is damaged, they're hateful, they're they're in pain for some reason Mm -hmm. and they're trying to hurt you. Mm. It's terrifying. But you can walk away by shutting your computer, talking to your dad or your mum or whatever. I mean, I don't know whether it's technology enabling us to do what we would do anyways because bullies have always existed. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a new method of bullying Mm. or or does it promote more bullying does it exacerbate oh, it well, I, I, it, think I think it's a new level I, I think it's, I think it's a new level but also it's human nature to hurt mm. yeah I would have hated so I went to an all-girls school and especially as we were on the age 16 where boys come onto the scene a lot and if Facebook and Twitter Can had you been imagine? around at that I age imagine. I, it would have been all-out war it would have been horrific. Oh, wow. Yeah, I once got so drunk and vomited please. on my elbow, and like, <laughs> I don't know. It's quite difficult. But no, the inside—it was really weird. And anyway, <laughs> the inside of my elbow. And if thing is, like, I've done really embarrassing yeah. things, and like, I've done—I've done way more embarrassing than that. But mm. the idea of something following you, there's people don't realise if it's if it's online, it's online forever. You can't take it back. Mm. No, there's the, that data protection act mm. um, that Google will allow you to write to them and say, please take this down about yeah. me. But they don't do it for everyone. No, it's terrifying. And the fact they had to write to Google, the Google's so powerful. Yeah. It shouldn't be like that. Like, they should be... I mean, they have a monopoly on search engines because they're the best. Mm-hmm. But, like... You wouldn't write to Yahoo and say, "Hi Yahoo, can you remove my thing from your?" Because no one cares. Don't write to Yahoo. Hello, is that Bing? Yeah. Is that Bing? Is that the one person that Bing? Like, oh, Jeeves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hi Jeeves. Oh, it's Jeeves. Actually, name's Jeeves. Okay. Oh, you're in the basement. Okay, great. Because Google is like huge, and they have monopoly, and like you'd write to Google, which is also terrifying. How important has London, the city itself, been to your development? Um, I think it's been really important. I think that I do appreciate, you know. Any city has, it's quite violent. I, I've been attacked a few times and just, just from walking, like a student, I was attacked as a student in really? New Cross. Yeah, just attacked. Mugged? No, just for nothing. Um, this guy was giving these girls some abuse on the bus stop and I was like, hey, come on, man, stupidly, uh, and say, so leave them alone. Mm. They got on the next bus and left me alone with him. Oh, no, and I was, God. and then he like slammed me up against the bus no. stop and was like, fuck you. And I was like, okay, this is not great. Mm-hmm. I might die in a minute. It was just, it's kind of, 
it really got to me, but it wasn't the aggressive act that got to me. It was the fact that everyone around me didn't do anything. Yeah. There was a lot of people watching and I was screaming for help and no one helped me. Mm. So that was, for me, London's love-hate because mm. I constantly try to do everyday acts of kindness. Every day. Um, but sometimes I just want to kick people in the face because <laughs> I hate them. But then you kind of think, wait, but we're in a city and we're all together and it's really busy. Yeah. The more joy you can bring the brighter you are inside. So yeah. that's a constant sort of battle for me. And sometimes I do just want to go into the wilderness and live by, a, by the sea. And I think one day I will do that. But at the moment, I do enjoy the kind of bustle and life of it. And and you do have a low-level danger, especially as a woman walking around late at night. The amount of times I've been followed home by somebody. Yeah. It's dangerous. And I, I think that often guys don't get that. Mm. I had a, had a friend, I have a friend, and he said once he went out and drag for someone's stag do and he he's a very pretty guy mm-hmm. and he was this the first time I realised I, I felt quite threatened oh, they, they yeah. were very predatory towards me I was like mm. yes well you're a hot piece of ass mm. and he was like yes I was but it, he realised the first time the kind of aggressive looks that we get every mm-hmm. day as a kind of normal thing it's a normal thing to happen who was it who was somebody worked out how many hours, days, weeks a woman spends in her lifetime mitigating risk to herself? That book called um, How Men Speak to... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Men Explain Things to, to Me. Women, yeah. Yeah, um, by this feminist writer called... Oh, I can't remember. Rachel Saltner or something. Yeah. We'll put um, a link to it. And, yeah, she worked out. And so you leave a party early because you have to make the train or you leave somewhere before it gets dark or you don't go to something yeah. at all because you have to travel there on your own. And the, well, the amount of true. thinking yeah. time that you have. So I'd never thought, I, I remember reading the book and I'd never thought of it this way, but the amount of sort of energy it takes mm. up from you. So when you're walking home, you could be thinking about something a bit more positive, but you're actually thinking about, oh, I need to get home safe and how yeah. wasteful that is. Who's following me today? Yeah. Who might be my death today? Yeah. I've read somewhere that, yeah, when guys walking down the street and they see a group of girls coming towards them, they think, oh, God, please don't make fun of me. And when a woman sees a group of guys coming towards her, she's like, oh, please don't kill me. I know this is like really it's simplistic. It's really simplistic, it? but it's the basic thing. Mm. That's what I think. Late at night, a big group of guys come towards me. A completely natural, completely lovely group of guys. Mm. I'm still thinking they might kill me. Yeah, <laughs> and they probably won't, and or like, rape you or something. But you're in London, and you have to be careful. And I don't think if you haven't experienced that, you don't really get that it's it's a real fear and it's mm-hmm. it's but and we're very much conditioned that we're responsible for our own safety so it that takes away the onus from uh, any potential attacker because perhaps uh, you shouldn't have been there at that time yeah, yeah. Go, oh sh- should we have curfews just because we're women yeah and a lot of c- campaigns around sexual violence are what the would-be victim can do to protect themselves so mm. there was one oh there's one at the moment or recently which is a sort of look after your friends thing and it's a series of photos of a group of girls who are out and saying don't leave your mates unattended or don't it's let that yeah and it's really yeah. bad because if there's advertisements around London saying, don't rape people, that's not going to work. Don't, don't kill people, guys. Well, there were, yeah, and there have that's been not work, sort right? of satirical pamphlets about yeah. what what to do if you think you might rape someone. No, no, seriously. Yeah, it's like, like oh, here's a number you can call. You, you, ha- you, have, to, you have to go that way because you can't it's appeal like, to the rapist or the aggressor because 
I don't know what's going on with them, but that's not Well, but behavior. maybe there should be a campaign that's about a group of men saying, you know, if one of your mates has a tendency to, when they're drunk, to start harassing women, mm. you know, have pull to, them up how, on how it. to lock it down. But yeah, yeah, pull them up on it and uh, make sure your friend doesn't put Rohypnol in someone's drink because... That's not great. Yeah, that you could be implicated, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is hard, though. I, I imagine it's really, really hard for guys as well because... There's lots of things that women sort of saying we feel threatened, but most men, we're yeah, all human beings. Yeah, and, of course. Um, I think most men really are feminists too. So it's, yeah. it's very difficult to kind of say these things. Yeah, and the fear far outweighs the actual danger that you're in. Completely. Which is what makes it such a waste of time. And I think yeah. that's the point that that the, woman was making, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. In her essay. And you mentioned before mindfulness mm. and also your book, The Magical City. I don't think we really described it properly, but mm. it's colouring in books yeah, for adults. It's, it's, but it also yeah. plays into all these um, artist therapy and mindfulness movement, which is really becoming more mainstream at the moment. Mm-hmm. The colouring in book for adult trend is a beautiful trend and it's, uh, it's honoured to be a part of this trend because it's 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 a lovely opportunity to speak to people in a really massive way and I've got the most beautiful emails from people dealing with cancer dealing with bereavement emailing me to let me know that just these books of you know any books by me books by um the the amazing Jenna Bassford who did the soup garden which is the bestseller in all these books emailing Mm. us and saying thank you for just giving me a method to tap into this calmness that's there but I don't draw I just colour, so thank you. It's a lot of people. I think you said something before that any human is an artist, which you got from the book, The Artist's Way. But I think a lot of people don't allow themselves to be. So they say, I can't draw, I can't sing. Well, everyone can. You might, you might suck at it. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, it allows people to be a bit more confident with what they can do. One thing that I I got from many people on Facebook, people emailing me, is like, oh can I show you some of my pages I've done of your book, Lizzie? Mm. Um, they're, oh, it's really awful. Uh, it's really messy. Sorry about that. But I just want to share it with you. And I'm like, well, it's not awful because it's come from your hand, which mm. makes it really beautiful. Because if your hand is making that colour on the page, that's yours and that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's, you know, obviously I wouldn't, I wouldn't. So it's almost like you're collaborating with every person that chooses to buy it's your so book. It's so beautiful. I hadn't thought yeah, about it that way. it's the loveliest thing. It's like, it's really special. Mm. Each book is completely unique. I know. It mm. blows my mind. Like, And seeing some people's work, it's absolutely incredible. There's an Australian called Peter Hewitt and she got the book from her son as a a birthday present and she's done this YouTube video it's got loads of hits now and it's her doing the London panorama of my book and she is fucking amazing I could never colour like this it's absolutely beautiful and people have like shared this video so many times and yeah it's just and she's just like oh I just got it for my son and I'm just trying Mm. it out and she's a genius (laughs) it's awesome how satisfying to be able to to be to interact with your consumers as well and do you have more um books or plans to do more books yeah so the sequel to the magical city it's called the magical christmas and it's all about 
the concept of Christmas in the way of generosity and being kind to each other and um, cultivating a level of love all through the year. We've got frost fairs on the Thames from Victorian times when the Thames used to freeze up. Oh, wow. Um, that used to be a thing, apparently. People used to walk out into the <laughs> frozen Thames. More than that, they used to have fairs out there. So oh, my gosh. The hundreds of people. Yeah, completely freeze up. So gosh. there's like, actually old images of people in their lovely Victorian get-ups of horses <laughs> and uh, bowls <laughs> on the Thames. Yeah, doing chestnuts and things. Like heating oh, things on the Thames. <laughs> you can't imagine. Yeah, it's so, does the Thames still freeze? No, no, no. no. And that's all global warming. It was called the Mini Ice Age, and it was around oh. Victorian times or a bit earlier, I think. I could be wrong. And so it has a historical element. Yeah, um, there's Tudor Christmas in there, there's Medieval there? Christmas, there's oh, a Mama's nice. Christmas. There's Hanukkah in there as well. Fabulous. So, yeah, there's lots of different things. And I use it as kind of way of being quite sort of a book about kindness and just being awesome to each other. So, Lizzie, what's next on the agenda for you? Um, Well, I'm kind of planning to leave, like, before my next book comes out, I'm going to skip the country, run away from the man. No, I'm, I'm leaving <laughs> because I want to explore the world a bit. So I'm cashing in my cheque for my book for a round-the-world trip. Just, I'm not, it's not really like um any plan I'm just going to go to different countries and draw and and see the world so I'm starting off in Brazil and then I'm going with friends we're going to go to um to Lima Peru uh on a bus mm-hmm. and just meet meet the world and just, just be really open and I'm thinking of doing like a travel book as well so I'll be drawing and and writing things kind of like a like, listening experience to people and then um, go to Japan and do the same thing there. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to Japan. I- I'm quite nervous about the culture shock because mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen in Japan, but that's kind of awesome. <laughs> oh, and then New Zealand, Australia. I'm, I'm just going to see everything. And I think before, I haven't really felt a need to travel before like, like this, but I felt a real need since since I went to the commune. So I'm going to follow the need and just travel. Sounds wonderful. Sounds yeah, yeah. So I'm, really, I'm really excited. I'm quite nervous. I was saying to you guys before we started... Uh, filming that um, I had a dream where my arm fell off in Peru and there was, there was no blood or anything it just dropped off oh. and I think that it means that I'm worried about the unknown and leaving friends behind and it's like the end of one part of my life and the start of another mm. so maybe my arm fell off because I was worried about that yeah. and also I'm slightly worried about getting malaria and dying but I'll just make sure I take my pills and it'll be fine and I've never been to South America, so I think that the unknown is quite scary. It's very conceptual trip. Like, I've got my flight, but it's very conceptual. I don't really understand that I'm actually leaving. I, I've learnt now just to go where your heart leads you and maybe not try to overthink things. Sounds <laughs> wonderful. We can't yeah. wait to see the fruits of your travels. Yeah, me too. Mm. I have no idea what I'm doing, so I'm looking forward to seeing the fruits too. Exciting times. Yeah. Ta-da! Turns out her travels have been very fruitful indeed, with the release of The Magical Journey and Bon Voyage. More details on our website. Now over to those lasses in Liverpool and what feminism means to them. So we'd love to know what you think, what the word feminism means to you. Are you a feminist? I am, well I think, (laughs) I just think at the minute it's like a kind of a dirty word. I think like you're embarrassed to say it but you shouldn't be. Personally, it's not like thinking women should be in a better standpoint than men, it's just about equality. What is it for you? Um, I think it's a positive word and I think because we live in a western world, we're very civilised and stuff, but I think our idea of sexism is much more ingrained and hidden. So I think... I feel like you wrote this. (laughs) (laughs) No, you you, you planted this. Yeah, so it's a positive word. I would consider myself a feminist, yeah. Definitely a feminist, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just for the fact that 
everyone should have equal rights, whether you're a man, woman, anything in between. You should definitely all have the same rights. Nobody should be higher than anyone else. I don't think feminism at its core is about that. You shouldn't feel like women should be better than men, which I think a lot of people think it is about. I'd say just empowering women and the rights and stuff, because I've done essays on it in school and it's something like I think we should all be passionate about, you know what I mean? And how do you think we can get equality as women? I just think that, first of all, yeah, and it'll start with obviously women themselves, but men as well need to realise. And who do you look up to? I'll let you answer that because I think yeah. it's your favourite. I think it begins with a B, doesn't it? Who's that? <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I've heard them singing of inspiration. I'd say Oprah Winfrey. Really? I mean, Why yeah. Oprah? She's like strong, like a strong woman, and obviously she's black and like very successful. And what she's been through, like she's had racism, even though she's like a millionaire. She went into a shop and like people were like saying, like, you can't afford that. Yeah. But like, so I just think, yeah, I'd like to be successful like her, to be honest, rather than dependent on someone else. Um, and it's not so much about, you know, women being more visible than men or it's not like coming out of anger. I just think it's raising awareness to give everyone a fair chance, really. Now feminist is like perceived as like a bad word because there's so many people that think that means women are better than men. And everyone's taking it a step too far. No one's looking for equality. Everyone's looking to be better now. And that's why it's getting a bad name. And it's a shame because people are like, oh, fuck feminism, but they don't actually understand it. So what is it to you? Completely just equality. As in, like, it's the same as in gender, as in race, as in sexuality. It's just not just male and female, just complete equality. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, leave us a review on iTunes, five stars. Write us a letter, send us a telegram. Send us a pigeon. Use some semaphore smoke signals. (laughs) Send a flare. All of the above. Use the hashtag the subject LDN to suggest questions for our next round of street style interviews and keep an eye out for more news at our website www.thesubject.london. L-O-N-D-O-N. So much spelling in this outro. Okay, love you, bye.